I invite you to take your Bibles and turn again to Mark chapter 15. We'll now be finishing the, the rest of the crucifixion scene. Christ himself cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you would now take your Bibles and let's give attention to the reading of God's word in Matthew 15, verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Thus ends God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, on this day, 2,000 years ago, you offered up yourself that, that we might be spared. Jesus, you conquered death that we might have life. You shed and offered up your own blood so that we might be washed and purified. Send us now your spirit. Lord, open our eyes that we might see and behold the beauty of your splendor. We pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All throughout the book of Mark, there's a question running through it like an undercurrent. A question which Mark gives hints and answers to, but only clearly answers a handful of times. And that question is, who exactly is this man? Who is this carpenter, this son of a peasant? And at every scene we see Jesus in the crowds, the, the whispers can almost be felt. Right? Who is this? Wasn't this the man who built me a chair with his father not 10 years ago? Did the disciples question in 441 stand as the the sign, the billboard over the entire book. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And yet, like any good author, Mark does not leave his audience hanging. He tells us, he gives us hints, and right up front in, in the very beginning of the gospel, 1-1, one, one, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He tells us, the reader, exactly who this Jesus is. But throughout the gospel, Mark leaves Jesus' Jesus's identity hidden behind miracles, signs. And if you'll remember, whenever Jesus does a sign in Mark, he immediately tells them, don't tell anyone. 
He, tell, he commands them to keep these things secret. So the question which Mark seeks to answer is found in the passage we just read. On the lips of Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Who are you? In our passage this evening, Mark gives us the clearest answer, the clearest answer found on the lips of any actor, any person within his drama. And he does so in two ways. He does it by telling us of the curtain that was torn from top to bottom. And he does so on the lips of a Gentile centurion crying out, truly this was the Son of God. And the point Mark is trying to make is very simple, though infinitely mysterious. That it is only at the cross, it is only on Good Friday, a storm-tossed, dark day, much like today, when all seems lost, when we look at one stricken, smitten, afflicted, that we see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That we see Jesus for who he really is, the Son of God. Mark is telling us that it is only in his suffering, it is only in Good Friday that Christ's glory is manifest to the world. By telling us of the torn veil and the words of the centurion, Mark is showing the completion of the mission of God. The goal that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had from all eternity planned to enact in creation. The goal which was, of course, for his kingdom to dwell here on earth. For God's people and God himself to be united perfectly, finally completed. Throughout the Psalms, throughout the prophets, on the lips of Christ himself, hinted at things like the tabernacle, the temple, and even the Davidic kingship, God's kingdom as the, is seen as the goal towards which all history is building. And central to God's kingdom being established fully and finally It's God's glory being displayed for all to see. God's glory being manifest. And in the Old Testament, God's glory was kept private. It was kept back in the most secret of locations. And God's glory could be approached but only once a year by a bloody and trembling priest. And yet now with the torn veil, it is the word of the Father showing that his glory is no longer hidden in a 10 by 10 foot room. It is no longer contained within the Holy of Holies, but through Christ's death on the cross, his glory is manifest for all to see. And in that glory showing forth from the Holy of Holies, we now all have access. The glory of God is openly declared and manifested 
on the face of a first century Jew hanging on a cross. The face of God is no longer hidden behind a veil, but is found in the face of one who said to the robber, today you will be with me in paradise. The same voice which spoke at Jesus' baptism, you are my beloved son, now shouts, bursting open the veil, this is my beloved son. His glory fills the earth. Jesus cries out, the temple veil is torn. And as Michael Morales says, the centurion finds himself standing on holy ground. The centurion suddenly finds himself standing before the presence of God. And it's worth noting that the centurion becomes the only man to confess Jesus as the son of God in the entire gospel. Peter gets close in Mark 8, 29, when he says, you are the Christ. But he quickly shows that he has no idea what he's talking about. And if you remember, Jesus even tells him, get behind me, Satan. But as in this confession of the centurion, truly this was the son of God. It is that we see that it is only in suffering It is only in his giving up his life for us that Christ is seen clearly. That Christ is seen as the culmination for all of God's promises. All the weakness, folly, and suffering found at the cross serve as a megaphone through which God announces, behold the man, the son of God. And yet as we ask, who is this man? It's worth asking, who are we? Who are we? And in God's cross, there is but one answer that comes through. Sinners. Not mess up every once in a while oh, it's okay, everyone makes mistakes, sinners. Not, peop- not good people who slip up on occasion. Not people trying their best who have accidents every once in a while. But sinners, rebellious, hating and hated sinners. That's what the cross shows us to be. It's also worth asking, who might you have been that 2,000 years ago? Who might you have been? Perhaps you would have been a lawyer questioning the justice of crucifying an innocent man but concerned only with the fact of the matter. Most likely we would have been one of the Jews, right? Crying, crucify him. How dare he claim to be our God? Demanding the blood of someone who would dare say such things. 
whoever we might have been, not a one of us would have seen the glory of God. And it is the great gift of the Spirit that we now have that we can see and perceive Christ's glory on the cross. And if we ask, who are we, sinners? We might meditate, who might we have been 2,000 years ago? Well, ask yourself now, who are you here? Who are you now? Are you one who can join in with the confession of the centurion, finding yourself on holy ground, unable to do anything except confess this is the Son of God? Or as you sit here, are you astounded by the stupidity of people who would worship a crucified carpenter? Do your lips tremble with the confession of the thief, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom? Or do you mock his futile attempts at salvation? If you find yourself unable to see the glory in what we are reading, let me tell you that you will not find salvation in power. You will not find it in money. You will not find it in self-help books or within yourself or anything else that you can do. But let me tell you, if you come to the cross, there you will find the glory of God displayed in mercy and justice. You will behold the king in his beauty, beaten, bruised, and bloody, pouring out his life for you. Because it is at the cross, the precise moment when, all, when the answer to God's promises seemed to be a resounding no, that moment is exactly where we see all of God's promises receive a thunderous yes. And we know that Sunday always follows Friday. Don't we? It's, the cross is never separate from the resurrection. And the cross, we see that in dying with Christ, we have been given new life. Let's pray. Most merciful Father, in your great love, you sent your son to drink the cup of wrath. You raised him up high on that cross that all might see. And I pray, Father, that you would have mercy on those who do not know you as you are revealed in your son. Would you open their eyes, Lord, that they might see and behold your glory shining down from the face of a crucified man. May we who do believe in your son, Lord, would you keep us from being led astray by those things which might avert our eyes from the wounded hands and pierced side of our Savior. But may we see that in them our salvation. Father, may we behold the King in his beauty. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.